it's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. we got a great show in store today, and uh, coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour, um, we're going to talk with um, a... Uh, uh, let's see, a, a diversity, equity, and inclusion expert and executive who has a new book called All Are Welcome, How to Build a Real Workplace Culture of Inclusion that Delivers Results. Her name is Cynthia O. Young, and she'll uh, be joining me uh, coming up in a couple of hours. Um, in the middle of the show, the second hour of our three-hour uh, tour, we're going to talk with... Um, a woman who has uh, pulled together a uh, book of uh, that tells the uh, stories of seven inspirational women. The book is uh, called Story Matters by Linda Olson. And it uh, promises to empower your hope when you're going through tough times. But we're going to start out talking about, and this is going to seem... Um, a little strange because we're going to talk a little bit about a new play that focuses on the uh, Flint water crisis as if we haven't talked about that an awful lot on this show. Um, but uh, Flint Repertory Theater has a uh, a new play, the world premiere of a play um, directed by uh, a Flint native and written by a person with uh, ties to uh, Flint. And uh, we're going to have them and and maybe uh, one of the actors from the um, play, which is called Wrong River. And just just to tell you a little bit about what the play is about, it is... uh, gives a unique take on the Flint water crisis from the perspective of a young African-American family whose 10-year-old daughter is dealing with the effects of lead poisoning. And um, here to talk about that and uh, more, uh, well, first let me just tell you that the show is um, premiering this weekend, uh, February 4th, it begins, performances at the Elgood Theater uh, there at the... um, uh, Flint Cultural Center, uh, Flint Repertory Theater, the uh, Elgood Theater there. Um, but uh, joining me by phone, we have the uh, playwright and producer who's from Philadelphia, Josh Wilder. Josh, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Tom. 
And also we have uh, with us the director, Jeremiah Davison, who is a Flint native. And um, Jeremiah, welcome to you as well, my friend. Hey, Tom. Thank you for having us. I'm excited to be here. Now, I had uh, I, I am expecting to hear from Madeline Porter, who's one of the actors performing in this uh, production uh, coming up this weekend. But I haven't heard from her yet. So if she uh, if she calls in, I'll I'll transfer her into our call and and we'll include her as well. Um, but let me talk. Uh, let me let me ask first, um, Josh. You are from philadelphia what what inspired you to write a play about the flint water crisis um and and when did you write it how long did it take how in 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 other words how did it get from an idea for you know in your mind to where it's at now where it'll be performed this weekend Oh, that's a great question. Um, so I first found out um, what was happening in Flint in 2014 through Facebook. And it was, um, you know, I followed it for a whole year. And I was wondering, like, when it was going to become national news. And it wasn't until I got into Yale School of Drama. Um, I was a first-year playwright in the uh, MFA playwriting program. And we started talking about, you know, we have these discussions uh, every Monday, and we were talking about the role that the playwright has in society. And we also were talking about, you know, what what plays does America need right now? And in my grad school righteousness, <laughs> I uh, started, you know, bellowing about how no one is paying attention to what's happening in Flint, Michigan. And my teacher, who's like this British lady from Ireland, she essentially looked at me and said, well, you do it. You write that play. <laughs> so it all, started, it, it all started as a teacher, you know, calling me out. <laughs> and, <laughs> well, that's uh, what they're uh, supposed to do. Right, right. And and I said, okay, fine, I, I, I will do that. And, um, and that summer, uh, the program commissions us to write a new play that we will present in our second year. So uh, the summer of 2015, my best friend uh, and I, uh, we actually packed up a car and we drove to Flint. And we got an amazing opportunity to sit in um, some organizing meetings, some community meetings. We got to meet people, talk to people about what's going on. And uh, eventually, I, I just blurted it out. I said, hey, folks, like, I'm, a, I'm a playwright. I'm, I'm from Philadelphia, and I really would love the community's blessing and you know for me to write this story and josh i ha i have to interrupt here and ask you it uh, how how long after you announced that you were a playwright from philadelphia was it before someone took you out for a coney sorry you repeat it one more time <laughs> <laughs> how long was it before somebody took you out for a coney <laughs> well i haven't i don't think i got a coney yet uh -oh. Uh, oh, that's not I, right. That's just not right. <laughs> you know, but, but, uh, I, but I, I can't have one. <laughs> are Are you in Flint now for the for the opening this week? I will be. Um, currently, um, a blizzard, the the nor'easter, 
Um, I'm actually in Connecticut right now. Um, I teach at the National Theater Institute, um, so uh, a blizzard got in the way, but I will be there for opening night on Friday, yes. Well, and we're supposed to have a pretty good chunk of snow here in the next couple of days, so I hope your travels go very, very well. And, and Jeremiah, who is the director, is a Flint native. Jeremiah, you need to take this man out for a coney if he makes it to Flint. <laughs> I definitely will. I'll, I'll make <laughs> I'm not a, personally, I'm not a big uh, beef fan, so I, I just haven't gotten around to it. But oh, sure you- conies aren't as good as beef. <laughs> <laughs> They're way worse for you than that, um, right? But uh, but but a Flint favorite to be sure. Um, in 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 any event, uh, Jeremiah, how did you end up directing this uh, this project? Well, Tom, that that's a uh, that's actually a um, fun question. I love to answer. Um, so, uh, long story short, uh, Josh came to see a show that um in Atlanta, Georgia, that's where I uh live currently. And um this was in twenty nineteen, twenty nineteen, December twenty nineteen. He came to see a show at a show at a theater that I was working box office at. And uh I just uh, it was a colleague that he was with that I knew that was um that is my mentor, Jamil Jude, the artistic director of Kenny Leon True Colors Theater. And he was just like, Hey, this is Josh Ryder that's why this Jeremiah Davidson, and um, I remembered his name. I said, "Hold on, Josh Wilder, did you write a play on Flint?" Because they were doing his reading at the True Colors Theater, um, and oh, I, wow. I just remember, you hear a play. Someone wrote a play about Flint. You won't forget their name. You're gonna, you know, really check, look into that. So he said, "Yeah, I did," and I said, "Oh, okay. Um, I'm from Flint," and he was like, "Oh, wow!" And then, long story short, we ended up talking and connecting and um I, I had told him you know he knew I was a director and so we just uh started conversing and we I went um with him here I came with him here to Flint Michigan in January 2020 and that's when we did the uh reading at Flint Repertory Theater um for this show and after that that's when Flint Rep said they wanted to pick it up and the rest is history Oh, that's awesome. And, you know, uh, Jeremiah, there's a special name for the year 2019. What, what is that name? Pre, pre-pandemic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just yeah. barely, if you're talking about December of 19. Yeah. Um, you know, this story the the flint water crisis really has gone through a lot of uh iterations um since 2014 when flint first switched its uh municipal drinking water to the flint river uh badly and um it's it's become you know, it's been featured in movies. I think there's a, another play out there floating around uh, out mm-hmm. east somewhere, and um, it, and it's it's gotten a lot of national press. And of course, it's it's been talked about um, ad infinitum here in the city of Flint. 
to the point where a lot of people have Flint water crisis fatigue. Um, Josh, is there something about the story that you tell that cuts through that water crisis fatigue for, for especially Flint people who will get the first chance to see this play? That's a great question. I think the thing that I hope will cut through the fatigue is a reimagining of it through the eyes of a child. Um, mm. Something that's, uh, you know, that I wanted to really emphasize in the play is how do how have children been processing this thing? It's really kind of been a mom's cause. Right. Not that there haven't been, you know, men who were activists and, and protesters and so on, but, you know, it, it really has been moms that have been, you know, raising the flags on this. Mm-hmm. And, but, but the thing is that, like, you know, the children uh, who are still affected by this, they have to make sense of what's happening to them as well. Mm. And there's something about giving a child agency on stage that I'm really interested in. And in this play, we see the child, uh, whose name is Dela, played by the amazing Nikaila Boxley. Uh, we see her go on this mission to save the water tower, to fix, to fix the water tower in order to save the town. And that's the thing that I think um, will hopefully ring with the, with the children of Flint up until they're adults. Uh, you know, yes, there is fatigue um, when it comes to this topic, but also this is a piece of American history that will never go away, that will always be revisited and will always be uh, excavated and continues to play out in real time. So, you know, the fact that this is the first play about the water crisis that's being produced in the city where it happened I think that says a lot about the vision that Michael Lubris has, and the and the um, just the the weight of the play and how it will ring out um, throughout the country. I think that this is um, you know unfortunately this is something that will always be visited, and I think that there will be more dramas created around this because this also is a part of our civil. I mean, this also is a continuation of the civil rights movement. In a way, I mean, this is something that that uh, you know a lot of low-income families are still working through and still healing from. And for me, there's something about something in my gut tells me that Flint isn't going to be the only city that has a water crisis in the next couple of years. Well, we've already we've already seen a couple. Benton Harbor has had problems. Mm -hmm. Hamtramck has had problems. Um, Lansing was smart enough to replace all their pipes over a 12-year period, um, you know, prior to what happened in Flint or what was discovered in Flint, and and so I think you're you're right about that. But I have to put a comment here. Can you guys stick around for a few minutes? I have to take a break here, and and I want to talk some more about this. All right, absolutely. All right, um, we're talking about uh, the Flint water crisis and a new play called Wrong River that is opening this weekend at the Elgood Theater. Uh, 
produced by uh, Flint Repertory Theater. We're going to let our broadcast partner squeeze a few words in while we take a break. We'll be right back. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods. And in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Hi, I'm State Representative Sarah Anthony. Our community and communities across the country are seeing a rise in gun violence. 
Firearm injuries are one of the leading causes of death among children. Parents, it is your responsibility to know where your firearm is at all times. First, lock your gun away somewhere safe. Also, make sure that it is disassembled and unloaded. It's up to us to prevent gun violence in our community. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation about a new play opening this week from uh, Flint Repertory Theater. It's called Wrong River, written by Josh Wilder and directed by Jeremiah Davison, who both joined me uh, this morning by phone. Josh, Jeremiah, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. No problem. No, no, it's no worries. Uh, we know you have to pay the bills. I <laughs> know that's right, um, okay. Jeremiah. Let me let me ask you. Um, I, I was hoping we'd have Madeline Porter, who's one of the actors performing in this uh, in this presentation this weekend. Um, and and again, the the play opens uh, on the fourth. Let me get my notes in front of me here. Uh, runs the 4th through the 20th. Tickets range mm-hmm. from 10 to $25. Uh, you can get more info at flintrep.org. And uh, it's going to be performed in the um, Elgood Theater at, mm-hmm. uh, at Flint Repertory Theater over on the uh, cult- at the Cultural Center in Flint. But, Jeremiah, um, I, I, as I started to say, I was hoping we'd have uh, Madeline Porter, one of the actors, joining us. And I'll still, I'll still slide her in if she uh, if she calls in, or if one of the other actors wants to call in. Um, but um, I'll let you represent the uh, the actors. Are um, are all of the actors performing in this uh, from Flint, or have Flint connections or roots? Um, yeah. Oh, that's a great question. So uh, one of the things that I wanted to make sure is that we definitely had Michigan representatives. If we could have Flint representatives as much as possible, but um, just due to, I guess, when it comes to the casting and acting, it wasn't too many, if many, um, actors that were available um, in Flint. But um, we do have a few Detroit natives. Um, we have one, two, three... Uh, three. So Miss Madeline, who's playing June, um, is, lives and is from uh, Detroit. Um, we have Nikaila Boxley, who is playing Dela. She's she lives in uh, L.A. now, but she is a, a Detroit native. Um, and we have Henri Franklin, who is uh, born and raised in Detroit as well, and still lives there. Um, and then we do have a young lady that who is a dear friend of mine, and she's from uh, she lives in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, but she has a family here that lives in Flint and the Detroit area. So her father's side of her family is um, from Michigan. So uh, with that, it's, it's deep ties there. And then the other two uh, actors, uh, we have uh, Kurt Morley, um, who's playing Vic. He is from New Orleans, but lives in New York. But his father actually and family lives um, in Michigan. So he has that tie. Uh, in Holland, Michigan, I believe. And then we also have um, Leah, the character Leah, who is played by Jade Ratford. 
um, she just has she does have a, a good bit of friends who live here, and she comes here as uh, maybe once or twice a year just to visit in the Detroit area. So we we have a great variety of actors um, who range from different areas, not necessarily from Flint, but all of them have come ready to play, researching, and really um, diving into the community to see and really understand what is happening here so that we can make sure that we tell the story effectively. Well, Jeremiah, as as the director and a Flint native, um, have you um, had to do anything special to um, translate for Josh, the playwright, and for the actors performing in this play? Um, Flint speak? Uh, yeah, um, I, would, I would say as far as like doing anything special, I mean, I know for the actors, first off, since they've been here and while they're here, I've been taking them as much as I can around the city just to show them um, different parts of the city and specifically the North End where I know, where in the uh, show, um, that's where they live, off of Carpenter Road, Saginaw Street, um, Northwestern neighborhood area. So, just showing them and doing a, a little bit of groundwork on research. We did go to the water tower and uh, walked around and was able to look at all of that. Um, and also uh, definitely uh, just showing them different case studies that I've done um, with friends, family around Flint, Michigan that uh, I interviewed. So they're, they're able to see that and sort of see what they went through personally. So they get a glimpse of different perspectives. Um, and then, uh, in addition to all that, uh, I've been able to, uh, help immerse them in, in like voice recording. So allowing different friends and family to sort of record something that, uh, excerpt from the play or just talk for me and just have a regular conversation just so they also understand the language here. Um, because it is different from, uh, other places. Well, uh, that's, and, that's and what it, I was you, saying. You, you, I, being right. being a director and being from Flint, if that puts you in a good in a good position to, you know, kind of kind of help coach people on speaking Flint. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and and knowing that this isn't, um, you know, that it's that it's important to make the Flint experience as authentic as it is the water crisis experience. Agreed. Um, Agreed. Let me ask you this. I, I was reading something about this uh, production <clears throat> that caught my attention, that it's an all-black cast and that the design team was all-female. Was any of that by design, or did it happen organically the way I think it should? Uh, well, when it comes to the cast, uh, it's that's the way it's written. So that's the way it's written. That's the way it will be cast. Um, but when it comes to the design team, um, it, it actually just played out that way. Uh, I have a few colleagues of mine who were um, able to come on. Uh, we have uh, Michaela Frazier from Atlanta, Georgia, who is sound designing. We have Marie Laster, who is from Philadelphia as well, and has worked on Josh's play before, and she is set designing. And uh, we have Jasmine Williams uh, from 
Atlanta, Georgia, by way of New Jersey, and she is lighting design. So uh, it, it's really, it just kind of worked out that way. Um, also, um, I have a company, Monster Band Studios, LLC, which is a uh, right now more audio production company. And uh, we do, we have audio production and lighting design. So when it comes to sound design and lighting design, we have our own collective of individuals. So from there, that 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 point right there, we had, I was able to bring some of my people up to help do this show. And then we also have the amazing Miss um, Allison, who is doing projections um, from Michigan State University. So, so yeah, it, it just kind of worked out that way, and it, I'm so thankful, excited. They're all kicking butt, and it's just um, a blessing to have them in the room. Jeremiah, when this was being cast, and Josh, I want you to weigh in here too, um, if you got to participate at all in the process. Jeremiah, did you go through the the list of characters in this in this family that's portrayed in the uh, in the play Wrong River, and and immediately think of people you wanted to play those parts, or did you have casting? for it and josh did you get to sit in on that and how do you do that when people are spread out all over the country where they you know zoom auditions or or um you know what i mean how did how did you make that make those decisions yeah well we definitely um we definitely did auditions virtually so people would uh i we were sent out the sides um and they will basically get the sides they'll have a deadline to record them and they will record them. Um, and from there, I'll go through the list, review them, and if we need to see something else, then um, we would ask for them to send something else in, or if we needed to get on Zoom, which we didn't need for this show, we could. Um, but that's how that process went. But as far as, like, when reading the show, um, you always, as a director, you're always thinking about who can play these characters, and probably as a playwright as well. Um, but you're always thinking about who can play these characters. You have a sort of mind of, like, what's the Broadway character style like? But you also have a, a thought of, like, what is the regional theater version like? Um, who are the people that you know or see in these roles? Um, I had, I for this particular play, it was a few people I had in mind initially, but we ultimately just let the auditions um be what uh, basically we allowed the auditions to bring the people in and from there is when we decided um, who would be in the show and how long did it take to rehearse this show and and how do you do that when you've got people from la new orleans atlanta new york uh, detroit philly um when you bring people from all of those different places, do they come to town? And and do you have a, a certain limited amount of time to put the show together? Uh, yes. So the auditions, yep. Uh, after the virtual auditions, they, and we're, they're decided. Um, in a conversation with Michael Lubreeze and the Flint Repertory Theater, and everyone's in agreement, that's when we bring everyone to Flint, Michigan, for the scheduled day. So we've been here since January 4th. And here we've been rehearsing um, the past few weeks uh, every day from, like, Tuesday to Sunday um, and just rehearsing the play. And then this week we've entered tech um, starting this past weekend. 
And yeah, and then the actors who are not from here, they will be staying here and continuing to do the show. And that's how that works. Yeah, and also like because we have, um, because the play has had multiple readings, I was able to see a lot of actors embody these roles in, mm-hmm. on, you know, as we were coming to Flint. Um, and I just want to like point out, you know, this is the this is the life of the theater, and this is uh, you know theater artists know people all over the world. Um, and what's so exciting about about this particular uh, play um, when it comes to the actors and the casting, uh, Kurt Morlay, uh, um, you know, he was my classmate um, at Yale School of Drama, and he actually participated in the first workshop of this play. And uh, when we had the workshop, I ran into Jade Rafford that night. And she was just a fresh actress right out of school. And we talked for hours about how the play affected her because, you know, she lived through Hurricane Katrina as a child. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. so her personal connection to the play and how it influenced her, you know, how it affected her, those conversations that I had with her, I, I never forgot her face and I never forgot her name. But most importantly, as a playwright, I never forgot her voice. So when the auditions came out and she auditioned, it was like, whoa, this actress has been following this play for a very, very, very long time. And, you know, her talent spoke for itself. And uh, so, I, you know, from a playwright's point of view, that's kind of a dream for me. Explain the feeling that you get, Josh, as a as a playwright, watching the the thing come to life and seeing it in 3D. Whether it's uh, actors auditioning using your words, or or if you get a chance to sit in on uh, on, on rehearsals or or scenes via Zoom. Yeah, I um, you know hearing the words that you write in the mouths of actors is the most uh, transcendent experience for me. Only because, you know, as a writer, you are playing with actors, right? You are creating the story, you're building this thing from the ground up. It's the collaboration. I think that's the most important thing, is when you are creating characters, you're creating 3D representations of human beings you know, who actually live this life. You know, the goal for any theater artist is for the audience to see themselves on stage. So with that, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, I started off as an actor, um, and I worked on a a lot of new plays, and I realized that, you know, later on in my career that I actually needed to be behind the table as the writer because I had my own stories to tell. Um, It is... It's like, it's a feeling like none other. Um, I, it's a very spiritual experience for me because, you know, you're seeing things that you have imagined. You're hearing voices in real time versus in your head all the time. So it definitely is a magical experience. Um, being in the room with actors is my favorite. I actually like it better than the actual performance, you know, for being honest. Because there's, <laughs> magic, because there's an alchemy. There's an alchemy that happens with theater people. Josh, um, is is there? Uh, do playwrights and and uh, screenwriters do they have some agreed upon punishment for actors that screw up their lines or ad lib? 
there is no punishment. I think I think it's about the the actor finding the line. You have to give an actor space to find the line. You have to give mm-hmm. them their process you know and most of the time you know i might have envisioned a line in a certain way in my head but a brilliant actor a brilliant actor like madeline porter will Mm. make the line her own and open you up to a whole different interpretation and then you have to capture that lightning in the bottle and put it in the script i think that is what i mean by the alchemy of collaborating with actors they they are the magic people and you know, that's the, you know, and in my writing process, I'm always trying to honor, honor that, honor those people. You know, I, I definitely write for actors. Um, my, my, the theater that I write isn't, you know, um, like Tom Stoppard or Tony Kushner, where you have to be a little bit like, you know, you have to have degrees in order to understand what you're listening to. Um, I write for the everyman. So that means you don't have to have a college degree. You don't even have to have a high school degree. But that's kind of an important thing about making dialogue authentic, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, you should you should write the characters to talk like people talk. Precisely, and mm-hmm. you know, and that's the beauty of the theater. There's so many types of plays, so many types of playwrights. Um, you know, one of my Big inspirations is August Wilson. I mean, he's from Pennsylvania. I went to college in Pittsburgh. I know exactly, you know, his language and his plays truly resonated with me because I felt like I was seen. And I think it's I think it's continuing that tradition of honoring the everyday person because the everyday person in America is invisible. I'm fascinated and, by um, the process of writing words for other people to say and i had uh i had the opportunity to uh interview uh, a speech writer from the white house who had been a speech writer for uh, then president george w bush who was not particularly well known for giving good speeches and (laughs) and i and and i asked matt uh, he matt latimer was uh the speechwriter that was on the show, and, and by the way, he graduated from Flint Central High School, um, and he um, and I asked him if he would just you know stomp around the back of the room when George W. Bush was giving a speech because he kept stepping on all his lines and tripping over his lines. <laughs> um, and it's it's got to be a little bit difficult. It, when you write something that you think should be delivered a certain way and an actor makes a different choice, it's interesting to see that you um, are open to that, Josh. Well, well, Tom, here's the thing, right? And this is a secret that I can tell, you know, your audience um, who, who are writers listening. And language is music. Language mm-hmm. is music. And every city... Every state has its own rhythm and its own music. And if you tune your ear to the music of the people, you can capture that and make your own composition that is as authentic as it can be. So for me, I'm coming into the room as a composer. 
and the actors are the instruments. Their voices are the instruments. And then you figure out, okay, cool, this person this person has a, a horn in their voice. Let me create words or find words and phrases that let their voices sing. So for me, um, that's why being in the room is very, very important as a playwright, because essentially play rehearsal evolves into music rehearsal. Mm. Um, Josh, um, one one last thing for Josh. When you're writing for a cast of characters, it's it's really interesting. A lot of writers of of novels and um, and and even documentary films and in, in uh, um, speeches and so on, writers will try to find their voice. As a playwright, are you constantly searching for a lot of different people's voices? Yes. Because their voices ultimately inspire my own. Um, I'm always evolving as an artist, always evolving as a human being. So, you know, my voice will naturally evolve. And I think when my voice gets to a certain stage, it calls for certain voices to elevate to the next one. Josh, um, what's what's next for you? Well, um, next for me, um, I actually am in the process of putting up another world premiere in Los Angeles. This is my latest play, The Hands That Could, uh, with Watts Village Theater, uh, with producer Nigel X attached. Uh, we were granted a $40,000 production grant uh, by the LA New Play Program. Uh, we were one of the uh, inaugural recipients of this grant. So um, in the 22, 23, and hopefully 24 season, we will have a world premiere of my latest play, The Hands That Could. And Jeremiah, how about you? What's next for you? Uh, for me, um, I'll be going back down to Atlanta and doing, uh, I'm also a sound designer, so I sometimes switch hats. So I'll go ahead and switch that hat right after the show, and uh, I'll be doing a show at Alliance called Do You Love the Dark? And it is a uh, theater for a very young audience show um, at the Alliance Theater in Atlanta, Georgia. Well, my guests, Josh Wilder is the uh, playwright and producer from Philadelphia of uh, the um, the play Wrong River that's being performed at uh, Flint Repertory Theater at the Cultural Center in Flint starting uh, February 4th through February 20th. And... Uh, my other guest, Jeremiah Davison, is a uh, Flint native and is directing the uh, performance. And I want to thank you both for uh, spending this time with me this morning and, and sharing uh, some of your thoughts and expertise about uh, this play and theater in general. Thank you so much, Tom. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure uh, to be here. All right. Take care. And that play, uh, as I mentioned, is uh, February 4th through the 20th at uh, New Repertory, uh, or Flint Repertory Theater, rather, at the uh, Algood Theater. And you can get more information about the uh, play, tickets, performances, times, etc. at uh, flintrep.org.
So um, by all means, check it out. Flint Repertory Theater is back with uh, a very interesting take on the Flint water crisis called Wrong River. It's a world premiere performance starting this weekend. We're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, file a complaint with my office online at mi.gov robocalls. And mom, Dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Long Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan. Flip Flip Technology. My Community College. It's Pure Michigan. 
Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to tom at tomsumnerprogram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Ladies and gentlemen, Philip Rapp's creation, The Bickersons. The Bickersons never tire. Poor husband John, a chronic insomniac and suffering from slugger's disease, struggles during an acute patch of his ailment while Blanche Bickerson attempts to describe his symptoms over the phone to Dr. Hershey. Listen. This is worse than ever, Dr. Hershey. Can't you come over? Mrs. Bickerson, it's almost three o'clock. I'm sure his condition is pretty good. I'll come over in the morning. But he might recover by morning. I wouldn't want that to happen. What? Wait a minute. I'll carry the phone into the bedroom, and you can hear what John's going through. You hear that? I can't hear your husband on account of those fire engines. That's my husband. What? Incredible. Tell him to do that again. I don't have to. He will. Mrs. Bickerson, there's only one thing. Just a minute, Doctor. Wait until I get the phone out of the room. Now, what were you saying? It's definitely a post condition, and that roaring indicates he's a mouth breather. Well, maybe, but John isn't breathing through his mouth. What makes you so sure? I taped it shut with plaster. That isn't wise, Mrs. Bickerson. I'd rather you tape his nostrils. It's less dangerous. I tried that last night. I think my husband snores through his pores. I'd give anything if you could cure him. There's only one course of treatment, but it's very expensive. It'll be $200 down and $25 a month for 11 months, plus charges for extras. Sounds like buying a new car. I am. Good night, Mrs. Bickerson. Good night, Dr. Hershey. Maybe John's quiet now. John! John! Turn over on your side. Go on! John, stop making that silly noise. Oh, I forgot the adhesive tape. Ow! What's the matter with you, Blanche? Who taped up my mouth? I put it on to stop you from snoring. Oh, I never heard of such a thing. You had to go and tape up my mouth just when I'm raising a mustache, pull out every hair. That's too bad. You've caused me enough suffering. I'd rather lose your mustache than lose my sleep. What's the matter with you, Blanche? What's the matter? I just can't stand it anymore, John. Night after night, I walk the floors and get into a state because you snore and brawl and snore and whine like a bulldozer. Uh, Is it any wonder I'm so irritable and ill-tempered? If Dr. Hershey won't encourage me and try to improve my nature and buoy me up, who will help me? Nature boy. Very funny. 
You're so funny, John. I'm not funny. And what about me? I haven't slept for so long. I'm a nervous wreck. I bury my head under the pillows to shut up your snoring. And when I get up every morning, I have a cramp in my collarbone. Rub it with chicken fat. Rub it with chicken fat. You and your stupid remedies. Huh? What do you care what I go through? Blanche, put out the light. I will not. How would you like to go through life with a constant pain in the neck? Well, I took you for better or worse. Yet to come. That's right. Pile it on. Tell people I forced you into this marriage. Did I ever run after you? Blanche, I want to sleep. I did everything to deserve you, and you know it. Did I accept you the first time you proposed? No. And why not? Because you weren't there. Go on. You wouldn't have the nerve to propose to anybody else. You sure took advantage of my innocence and youth. Oh, don't give me that you stuff. You are no spring chicken. I must have been, or I would never have picked a worm like you. Why don't you go to sleep? It's a different story now, isn't it? Never a kind word. Never a sign of affection. Never a good night kiss. And to think you used to kiss me every time I turned around. I never kissed you when you turned around. I've been a trusting fool all these years. I should have known you don't love me. You never did. I did, too. I mean, I do, too. You don't. You don't. You don't. Oh, Blanche, I love you. You're lying. Swear you love me. I hope I drown in a pool of bourbon if I'm lying. That's the answer to all our problems. You think more of a bottle of bourbon than you do of me. It's true, isn't it, John? What's true? You're in love with a bottle of bourbon. Oh, for heaven's sake. Go on. Say it. I can stand the truth. Just give it to me straight. It's better with soda. Don't try and switch things around. You know you indulge in it more than what is absolutely necessary. No other wife would put up with such a thing like that. Now, just a minute, Blanche. I resent that. I don't care. You can accuse me of being selfish or inconsiderate or anything else, but drinking is not one of my failures. No, it's one of your few successes. That is not true. I don't drink more than any six men you know. Now, you trapped me into that. The only reason I use bourbon is because the doctor prescribed it. He said I would stop snoring if I took a jigger of bourbon and two aspirin before I went to bed tonight. That's not what you do, though. It is. It is not. You're six months behind on the aspirin and two years ahead on the bourbon. Well, the aspirin gives me a headache. You'd better listen to me, John. We'd get along beautifully if you'd think of me once in a while. If there's an extra dollar in the house, it goes for your pleasure. Only two weeks ago, you had your life insured for $10,000. What about it? You're always thinking of yourself. Myself? Now, what kind of idiotic talk is that, Blanche? If I die, you get the 10000 You know perfectly well you have no intention of dying. You've only got your life insured to tantalize me. I'll drop dead in the morning. You say it, but you won't do it. Blanche, what's the matter with you? Do you realize what you're saying? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it that way. I'm sorry. That's okay. Just calm down. Try to get some sleep. I can't sleep. I'm too upset. You can't stand the sight of me, can you, John? I can stand it fine. I'd like to hear you talk that way to Gloria Gooseby. Don't start with Gloria Gooseby. Anybody could be pretty with the money she spends on clothes. Every time her husband wants a kiss, he has to buy her a dress. 
Believe me, you're lucky you've got a cheap wife like me. If you were married to Gloria Gooseby, you'd have to pay for her kisses. I'm not married to her, and I get them for nothing. And I hate Gloria Gooseby. I'm warning you, Blanche, if I ever hear you mention her name again, I'll... I'll... That's right. Hit me. You've done everything else. Oh, for heaven's sake, Blanche, will you please put out the light? I have to get up so early in the morning. Good night. Are you angry, John? No, I'm just sick. Do you hate me? You know I do. I mean, I don't hate you, Blanche. What's the matter with you tonight? What have you done? I've been so upset. I forgot to give you something. It came for you yesterday. A letter? Special delivery and registered. It was addressed to you and marked strictly personal and private. Okay, what did it say? Well, you needn't be so snide about it, John. I wouldn't have read it, but I accidentally steamed it over when I was pouring myself a cup of tea. Let me see it. You can read it in the morning. Go to sleep. I want to read it right now. Put the lights on and give it to me. Oh, all right. Here it is. Oh, from the government. Um, good night, John. Mr. John Bickerson, sir, in checking your return for 1946, we find you have overpaid your taxes and closed find a check for $76.50. Well, say, what a break. I finally... Blanche. Hmm? Where's the check? Hmm? Huh? Don't act sleepy now. What did you do with my $76? I bought a beautiful Evan handbag. It's shark skin trimmed with snake skin, and it matches my cat skin shoes. $76 for a shark skin snake? Take it back. Take it back. Do you hear me? Stop screaming. How could you squander my hard-earned money like this? I deny myself everything. I've been cutting the scraps off your old garter belts and wearing them for bow ties. I have my feet hand-soled in a blacksmith just to save on shoes. I don't even drink my bourbon anymore. I just lick the label and stick my nose in the... I don't spend a nickel on myself. You bought a new watch chain yesterday. What watch chain? The zipper came off my pants. You get that money back, you hear me? How can you do that, John? You didn't buy me anything for our anniversary. Can I keep it, please? No. Please? Oh, what's the use? Can I keep the bag, John? How I slave and sweat to bring money and soul together, deprive myself of every tiny luxury to try to make both ends meet. It isn't worth it. One fatal swoop and she squanders two years' savings. What's a man got to live for? I wish I had the courage to... Maybe I will. Life means nothing anymore. There's only one thing to do. John. Oh, John. Sumner 
show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. <laughs>